we're gonna focus on our people. And if other people find us because of some of the cool stuff we're doing, amazing. But right now, we know that there are a million people in this country living with hydrocephalus and our database has a very small percentage of those people. And so let's find them. Hey everyone, my name is Noah Barnett and I'm the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Amanda Garzon, the COO at the Hydrocephalus Association. Uh, thanks for being here, Amanda. I'm really excited to spend time with you. I am very excited to be here, Noah. Thanks for having me. So before we get into some of the marketing tactics and strategies that the Hydrocephalus Association uh, uses, because we do like getting under the hood here on Unplugged. I would love to know first, just taking a step back and like, what was kind of the squiggle or the journey that got you both into nonprofit work, but specifically with uh, the Hydrocephalus Association? What brought me to the Hydrocephalus Association was I actually uh, have a daughter who was born with hydrocephalus. She actually developed hydrocephalus um, after she was born. She was born three months prematurely. We spent the first 90 days of her life in the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, and in the first seven months of her life, she underwent seven brain surgeries. And wow. she's had a total of 17 brain surgeries and she's 22 years old. When I heard about hydrocephalus from the doctors, when they told me my daughter had hydrocephalus, me like everybody who goes through this diagnosis process was like, what is hydrocephalus? You just don't know what it is. And it, it's really uh, daunting to be told that your child is going to have a chronic neurological condition that has no cure where the only treatment option is brain surgery, where the dominant treatment option is the implantation of a medical device known as a shunt that has the highest failure rate of any medical device on the market. A lot of people think of hydrocephalus as a pediatric condition, uh, but it's actually not. Anybody at any time can develop hydrocephalus from a brain injury, a tumor. Um, a lot of people develop it as part of the aging process, uh, so and they don't know why that's happening. I think there are over 700,000 people in the United States living with normal pressure hydrocephalus, and the majority of them are misdiagnosed as having Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or are undiagnosed. And so it's this, once you kind of get into the world of what hydrocephalus is, you realize that it's this very complex lifelong condition that nobody's ever heard of. And it's really frustrating. And so I became involved with the Hydrocephalus Association when the organization moved its national headquarters from San Francisco to the Washington DC area. It was founded in 1983 by a group of parents who wanted to provide information to people because there was nothing out there about hydrocephalus. And this was pre-internet, can we believe a world without Google? But it was pre-internet time. And, and really you had to go to a library and what you found in a library were research scientific journal articles, nothing written for the layperson. And this incredible group of two women, a nurse practitioner, a neurosurgeon out of Stanford, and then of course, you know, other family members came together and said, we're gonna change this. We're gonna put things out for families because nobody should have to live not knowing what they can expect from this condition. So it, we come from this incredible tradition and we moved to the DC area because in 2009, we started funding research as an organization moving away from just providing support and education and advocacy services. And so we needed to be close to Capitol Hill we needed to be close to NIH. And so uh, they were looking to replace their teams. And I, at that moment, um, had decided that I really wanted to leave the for-profit world, that I needed to be doing something that was really mission-driven, 
My daughter was um, 12 at the time. And so I just, I think it was just kind of serendipity, like everything, the stars aligned uh, and they were looking for, to build a team in, in the Bethesda, in the DC area and in, in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, I just happened to be there. And so that's how I ended up at AJ. Well, I know I fell into the category you mentioned that I didn't know what hydrocephalus was until we met a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and taking a look at it. But what an incredible impact it has on people's lives, but also the fact that your organization is stepping into that gap and has year over year over year to be able to be a support is just incredible, first and foremost. And I think that's what's so powerful about so many nonprofits that we miss is that there's so many gaps like the one you just said, where people just assume someone else will step in the gap mm-hmm. or someone else is taking care of it. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that's the under, like that's the helpers, like doing the work in nonprofits that we then treat poorly or have too high of expectations on, you know, what their accountability and finances are or, you know, the burnout that's rampant in the sector. And so just grateful for yeah. the work your organization does and for you stepping in and being so mission aligned to that work, I know that was deeply important in the work that I started to do and being pulled in where you have this like personal story that kind of draws you in to the cause. And I think our audience can resonate too. So I hope this sparks even reminders of why you do what you do, listeners, as like, what is that story? What is the heartbeat that drives you? Because that's what fuels good marketing and good work and kind of advancing these organizations. So first and foremost, thank you, Amanda, for sharing that uh, and stepping into this work. On Unplugged, we really like to get into the weeds on like how you all think about advancing your mission, sharing about the good work. I know you mentioned some of the policy work you do and the research mm-hmm. uh, work. So what are the kind of marketing activities or marketing things that you all do today to really push uh, the cause of your organization forward? When I first came to HA, I came in as the communications manager. I was the only person doing communications in a a team that was, I think, about 10 people, eight or eight to 10 people at the time. I have to think back now. It seems like ages ago, even though. And that's it was in only the whole like organization. That's not in that the whole organization. Yeah, you're the whole the organization was eight to yeah, 10. People. We yeah, we have 18 people now. So we're a little bit bigger, but, uh, you know, we're double. Um, but it was me doing comms. I inherited it from a guy who was doing it part time. And I got a Excel spreadsheet that had a list of reporters on it a Facebook page that had around 9,000 followers on it, which was amazing that he was able to do that um, with the limited resources that he had and what he was being asked to do at the time in addition to doing communications. And in my, you know, in the scope of my work, of my job responsibilities, I wasn't just doing digital marketing or, or social or anything like that. I was in charge of the communications to our own population that we already had. So newsletters, um, e-newsletters, annual reports, research updates. But then in addition to that, then also taking on a really aggressive approach to getting the word out about the organization. So I had to think really hard about how to do that and what tools I could use to do that on a shoestring budget. We didn't have, we, there was no marketing budget at the time um, at all, zero. In fact, I remember uh, probably three or four years later, I fought and fought and fought for a budget, a marketing budget. And so three or four years later, I had a $1,000 advertising budget. 
<laughs> and I was so excited that I had made it that far that I had gotten a thousand dollars. But people don't really understand what it takes, right, to do advertising and marketing. You know, so I would have a board that would say, why can't we get an ad in the New York Times, a full page ad in the Sunday edition of the New York Times? I'm like, shoot me a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'll get you an ad wherever you want. But you gave me a thousand dollars to run an entire marketing, you know, budget. So that's not happening. But thank you. But I will say what I think is incredible. And so when I was developing the strategy, I was like, how are we going to do this? And and I was a team of one. So the first thing I said was, first of all, how do I amplify my voice and my ability to produce? And we have all these amazing volunteers around the country who are connected to the cause. They either have hydrocephalus themselves or their parents who have uh, children with hydrocephalus who are highly motivated. So I taught them how to pitch their story to the press. And, and they were landing, you know, they were great and they still are great at landing local news stories. So that was number one, you know, like how do we, how do we, you know, bring, how do we empower our own volunteers and members of our community to be a part of telling the story, right? Because it's about telling the story. Because when people hear about the story of hydrocephalus, they're shocked that they've never heard of it before. Um, and it's an invisible condition. You don't see hydrocephalus for the majority of the people who are living with it. And so, you know, it's it makes it a, more, a very challenging condition to try and market. Um, because what does it look like? It looks like a mom holding her baby, right? Like, well, that looks like, you know, anybody that could be like a diaper commercial or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it's an invisible condition. So the first thing I did was I said, okay, let's empower our volunteers to help me get the word out. We were, I wasn't even looking digital at that point. I'm like still thinking boots on the ground. And let me empower these volunteers to also go to the medical providers who are doing the, the diagnosis and care of these of this patient community. And let's get resources in their hands to drop off to the doctors. And let's help the doctors understand who we are and that we're here to help support their patients. So, you know, again, thinking very simply initially, then I turned, you know, to the digital marketing space. So we have this 9,000 strong Facebook page. Well, how do we blow that up? Like, how do we get that going even more? So I started like really researching how are other nonprofits doing it? I always feel like it's a huge compliment when people basically do what you're doing. You know, I find it to be a huge compliment when people look at the work that we've done at HA and, and they copy us. And, and, and I don't mean copy in a bad way. It's really, it is a compliment. But so then I started looking at the digital marketing space. Initially, it was like Facebook. You know, Instagram wasn't even around, really. It was kind of just not even. So it was Twitter and Facebook. So I started ramping up. I think I did what everybody does, right? Like I was like, what are other people doing? Okay, they're creating content calendars. Well, let's just start there. <laughs> so, and then I started looking at, well, what do we really want to promote? How, how, what do I push out about the association to people? How do I find new people and also help our current people know that we're here for them? So I was looking at different ways to market the incredible services that the association provides and all of our free resources. And so as I started building our following uh, by really creating this robust content calendar, very visual content calendar um, with engaging content that was allowing people to continue telling their story, because I, I understood that. I understood that 
we wanted to tell our story. We want to, you know, have the bullhorn and say, look at me or look at my child. What we're living with is not okay. Understand our journey, please. And be a part of supporting our community. Um, you know, I, I said, let's put that in the hands of our own members. So, you know, create doing again, best practices that I saw other people doing, asking questions like how many of you live with headaches and then blow everybody on our Facebook page is blowing it up because they all want to share their story about living with headaches. Um, you know, at the time we also had, it's, we also had a very old website and I think, you know, better than anybody know that in the digital marketing space, all of it is your digital, you know, brand is is seamless. It has to feel seamless, right? You need, your users need to be able to move from, you know, Facebook or Instagram into, you know, an area of your website and then be clicking around in the area of your website. And that might take them to your YouTube channel. And, you know, you want to have this ecosystem that they can play in um, and learn and connect with other people through. And so I also looked holistically at what is our digital marketing space like as a as an end user and i said oh well this like 1995 <laughs> website really needs to be updated and so you know we went so through many people just shook their head and, and resonated with yeah. that people are like yeah, yeah i've been there so, yeah. <laughs> you know again it was it was really like looking holistically and then coming up with a, a strategy that included since I was the only person that included growing a staff through our volunteers and our members and giving them a space and a voice to start amplifying. You know, marketing for a condition like hydrocephalus is really challenging because you have this really, the condition runs the entire age spectrum. So do you focus on parents? Do you focus on individuals with hydrocephalus? We have a scholarship program. Do we focus on teens? Do we, do we focus on seniors who are developing normal pressure hydrocephalus and who have a completely different set of issues and needs from us? Do we focus on people living with hydrocephalus who aren't impacted and don't want people to know? Are we creating a space for those individuals in our organization who don't want to be outed about having this condition and be treated differently in their workplaces or by their friends and families? And that does happen, and it's really sad. In addition, our uh, the, the other part of our marketing audience is to the medical professionals who are taking care of these patients. And so, what's our what's our strategy for for them, and how does it differ? I am a true believer that you have to utilize good old fashioned PR boots on the ground PR like print publications and stuff with a digital marketing strategy. And not to plug Feather, what I love about Feather is it allows us to do that um, where we can have brochures in a doctor's office with a QR code and be tracking that in Feather and how that feeds into, you know, retargeting uh, those individuals who are visiting that part of our site to give them information or access to information that they might not even know that they need um, or for the doctors to, to you know, geocache um, or uh, geofence a, um, an area where like a lot of our medical practitioners are attending a conference to let them know who we are and what we're doing for their patients. And then once we get them into the fold, figure out how to uh, reach out to them to get volunteers into their office to get materials there or to partner with them on an in-person education day. All of it for me is seamless, whether we're in a digital space or we're um, IRL, right? In real <laughs> life, 
just doing good old fashioned connecting with people and bringing them into the cause. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather. Feather's nonprofit marketing platform turns your if only wish list into reality. Feather Flights, our marketing automation tool, helps you design multi-channel campaigns and automated engagement journeys. Feather is trusted by over 1,300 nonprofits, and we help you unlock more time, more results, and ultimately, more confidence with real-time ROI reporting at the campaign level so you know what works, removing the guesswork from your 2023 plan. Book time with one of our digital strategists today and learn how you can unlock more in 2023 with Feather by visiting feather.co. That's feather without the last E dot C-O. I am grateful that you shared kind of the journey that your organization went on with marketing from this kind of boots on the ground grassroots in person. Like, hey, what do we have? We have people. Let's lean into that. That can be your marketing. That was kind of expanding it digitally. And now like what you're sharing is you're mobilizing both on and offline and almost like ignoring that. I think I think the line between online and offline is blurring faster and faster and faster. And so as marketers or as mobilizers for our causes, we do have to begin to think, how do we just connect with our community wherever they are, you know, whether they're in a doctor's office or they're online or they're at a conference or they're on Facebook. And so I appreciate that. But I do want to highlight something you mentioned that I think is really applicable for our listeners because many have an invisible cause. Like mm. it's either invisible or there's a, a lacking sense of urgency because it's not a disaster or it's not the current political issue on the, you know, on the hill or whatever, or not the, you know, the topic of the week, because some celebrity did it, you know, it's this invisible cause. And I love what you said is that you said, how do we make the invisible visible using influencers, like the stories of the people, the stories of that community is good marketing, like we're ad, we're empowering them to share their story, which is something they want, they want people to understand their condition while also then amplifying and mobilizing more people to know about this and, and orchestrating that. So I love the idea of using influencers to make the invisible visible and kind of powering that community as a takeaway from what you shared. The other thing you mentioned, and it relates back to something I've talked a lot about, there's three goals when you're mobilizing a community or you're doing marketing to a community, especially like HAs, but I think many others could reference this is that your job as marketers is supposed to reinforce care for the cause. So how do we mm-hmm. keep this cause top of mind? How do we keep the work that we're doing? You know, whether it's animals or activism, you know, it can be across. How do we keep the cause, reinforce care for the cause? Uh, the second thing was establish confidence in that our organization is providing value on that cause. Mm-hmm. So how is it building confidence in our organization or in your organization? And the last one is another C because I'm an alliteration junkie and also um, a consultant at heart was building community amongst like purpose people. And I think marketing has the ability, if you really think about it, to do multiple of those throughout your efforts. Like you're mobilizing people to share their stories. They're telling other people. So you're reinforcing kind of care in the cause. You're increasing confidence that you guys are an organization that cares about them and building community amongst like purpose people. And so that was just two things that came to mind while you were talking is that, or three things. One was make the invisible visible through influencers or your community. 
The other one was how do we reinforce care, build confidence, and then uh, establish community amongst our community or our supporters. And then the last thing you mentioned was just the reporting of online and offline. And I know that's what something when we were in, we actually spent time in person together recently, which I was so grateful for, is you talked about this idea of reporting and really knowing what's working and what's not working. Could you share a little bit of how you all think about that? Even as a smaller organization, you all think about reporting in in a very sophisticated and important way. So I'd love for you to just share how you all think about reporting so our audience can learn. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think particularly for organizations that are trying to grow, you can report on your digital metrics, but what do they mean, right? What does it mean to have all these people come to your website? What does it mean to have all these people engage with a social media post? It doesn't mean anything if it doesn't turn into something for your organization. You think, for all of us in the nonprofit world, so all of you who are listening in the nonprofit world, you know, there there's always been this perception of the nonprofits versus the profit, the for-profits, right? Like the nonprofits are granola crunch crunch, lovey-dovey, we're all wanna hold hands, you know, we're not, you know, we're not out here to be a business to make money off of people. We do move from our hearts. We we provide a service like the people who work at HA, and I hope for many of you listening, the people who work at HA believe in our mission at the bottom of their souls. And they work hours that I can't, I can't even, I hate how much my staff works. Um, I always want to protect them, but they do it because they, they have connected to these people and, you know, and they want to work that hard. But the bottom line is, and, and this is something that I tried to inject is like, we have to think like a for-profit because we are selling this incredibly valuable service for free, right? Like, so even though, you know, we're not measuring profit margins and stuff like that, we are selling ourselves and it is priceless what we are selling. There are people who call me crying because I changed their lives with an article that was written, not me, that our organization changed their lives from an article that was written that gave them insight or maybe helped them not miss out on a on a federal program that has helped their family stay financially afloat. You know, those are significant priceless pieces of, of information in this case that we're selling. And so if we can't value ourselves that way and look at ourselves in that for-profit lens where I feel like we're really missing out on something. And that was one of the reasons why I brought in Feather, you know, it's like, let's let's start acting like a for-profit here. Let's start doing things like a for-profit. For me, measuring our people, like, how are we doing? Are we really making a difference? Is, do we have more people who are engaging with this organization and using our services? So you know, when I look at the way that we measure our success when we're reporting out to our board, and it actually now has become one of our, uh, the very first pillar of our strategic plan from the last, our last plan, and we carried it over into this plan. You know, our, our number one pillar is find and engage the community, and we have to report on that. So what does that mean? We'll grow, expand our 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 membership, and we don't have membership in the sense that we don't have dues or anything like that, but expand the number of people in our database so that we know that we are helping and getting, reaching as many people as possible. 
so that they're not walking this journey alone. But then engage them. Once they're in, what does that mean, right? That means like, are they then going on to attend our webinars and attend our workshops and our education days? Are they utilizing our support group um, support groups and attending those support group meetings? Are they using our peer support volunteers to meet somebody else on their journey? That's engagement. That lets us know that these people really see that we have something to offer them, believe in it and keep coming back. And then what does that do from a business perspective? They then donate to the organization. So really the the only way that we can grow is to measure ourselves in that respect. What is somebody's journey with our organization? They find us, they come to us, they see that we have something really valuable to give them. And they in turn then say, I'm supporting this organization because they've, they've really impacted my life. And so my metrics are kind of like my marketing strategy, <laughs> a blend of like boots on the ground and, and uh, you know, data, yeah. you know, data-driven decision-making that is also that data decision, that data-driven decision-making is reinforced by like a human aspect of it. Like, are we seeing people through the other side? And they're people, they're not numbers, they're people that we're touching. Yeah, it's not just looking at the rows and columns. It's also Mm -hmm. like adding that humanity side in. And I think that's just good business decision and making, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to take the quantitative and the qualitative, you know, for example. Um, I appreciate you sharing your approach to reporting. Because I think it it resonates with me. I started my work in like uh, managing a recurring giving program. And so I got exposed to this really early on because I knew that like if users didn't, if members didn't do certain behaviors, they stopped renewing their monthly giving. You know? And so we had to get mm-hmm. really in the details and say, what are the activities we see that people are, that people do that are retained and keep giving or continue to give more And what are the cohorts of people that aren't doing those things? How do we now use marketing to encourage them to basically model the behaviors of retained, connected, happy monthly givers into the work that we did? And you're sharing that same thing. It's like, hey, we get them into the store, quote unquote. We need them to like stay in there and hang out or we get them to the resort or to whatever analogy we want to use. We get them on Netflix. Like if they don't watch anything, like they're going to leave and stop paying. And in the same way, like you're measuring not only community growth, but community engagement. And that engagement side is so deeply important because it does have a direct correlation, not only to revenue, which is super important. It helps keep the lights on and drive the organization. But if they're not engaged... You're, you're not doing good with a capital G because like they're not getting value and benefits out of that. Absolutely. And so I think that's sometimes so re- refreshing is that like reporting isn't so that you take away from the mission. Reporting and being diligent about that is actually so that you can give more to the mission and do the work even further. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something else that I want to highlight and something we believe deeply here at Feather is we always say that marketing is good with a capital G. And the reason we mm-hmm. say that is because you even mentioned like you all reaching out to the community and finding them and telling them about your work, that's marketing. But then on the flip side, it's like now they know about your work and now they're more engaged. You reach out and do marketing to uh, the stakeholders, the doctors and those the um, practitioners working with these patients and you're reaching them with good marketing. They're now engaged. Now they can help their clients better. You're advancing the capital G good that you have. And so we always say like marketing isn't a means to good. It is the good because it's the education. It's the communication. Like you sell you know, you guys are selling or providing a a service that you have to tell people about. And if you don't, then like 
no one will know about, and then they won't you won't be able to advance your good. And I think sometimes we we demote marketing to like, oh, we do that because we have to, or like you mentioned, like we have a thousand dollars to do marketing. It's like no right. marketing is like our mission. Like it's it's the good that we're doing. Like we have to tell people about this, or we're not doing our jobs. Um, and so, how do we elevate that seat? marketing has at the table to a strategic growth partner versus a service or order taker. Um, and that's something I know we talk a lot about here on Unplugged. And so I'm grateful that you kind of reinforce through experience there. I think that that's probably been the biggest uh, impact I've made in the organization since I've come here is helping do just exactly what you said, is helping our board understand that if you want all these things to happen, like if you want to create all these amazing programs that are so beautiful, if nobody's using them, then what are they worth, right? Like we want to deliver these incredibly impactful programs, whether it's research uh, to, you know, a support group for women in their 40s and 50s who are really need to find each other. Um, if nobody's here, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And so the power of marketing to grow the mission financially, uh, programmatically is huge. And I think that I've won that battle and it's great. I'm not working under a $1,000 marketing budget anymore. I'm not working under a $500,000 budget. You still haven't bought that New York Times ad yet. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. But you know yeah. what? My volunteers are really good at getting free billboards around the country. That's great. That's great. Why? Yeah. Why pay when you get it for free? So Exactly. Exactly. As we wrap up, we, I want to jump into some lightning round questions, but I would love to know what excites you most about what, or where, where you're focusing more in 2023 as marketing. Like, is there something new you all are trying? Is there something you're doubling down on to help advance your mission? What kind of gets you excited about the opportunity marketing is playing to further your work? Yeah, the biggest thing right now, it's part of our new strategic plan, which started in January, is we are hitting hard on the medical professionals uh, in a marketing aspect. And that really is, is focusing around how can we help doctors take better care of their patients? We have an incredible medical advisory board that's helping define the activities that we're going to do from creating a dedicated area on our website that's resources by medical professionals for medical professionals, making it easy to find answers to really hard questions when condition gets really complex, to um, starting to really work with other medical specialists and, and physician expanders. So like the neuro nurses, the physician's assistants, to make sure that we understand what they need. And there's so much marketing that needs to happen in that space, whether we're hosting events for them and we're marketing the events to try and get them involved, um, or we are just trying to reach them to let them know that we exist. And again, it's a combination. You know, We are at exhibitors tables at their annual meetings. I'll be in LA in um, April 22nd and 23rd and 24th for the annual neuro, neurosurgery meeting. Um, to, you know, using Feather, Facebook, all other kinds of techniques to even digital advertising in their journals to get in front of them so that they know like, hey, we have an app that helps your patients that you can use with them. You know, we have all these resources for to help answer all of those lifestyle questions that you don't have time to deal with in clinic. And so I'm really excited and I'm, I'm proud of the organization for embracing this. 
The last question I have, again, before the lightning round is a tricky one. So I'll ask it, but I think it's something nonprofits deal with a lot. And it is a tricky thing to deal with, which is you're competing against other causes, right? You know, there there are more popular causes to give to or to support. How do you all navigate carving out a unique place for you all within a quote, I don't want to say competitive market, but in a like, we're all competing for resources um, for our causes. Any guidance on how you've navigated that or how you got how you all have differentiated yourselves from maybe the other health related causes as far as like getting doctors attentions or getting non impacted individuals invested in the work as well? So such a great question, Noah, and I think we haven't found that golden ticket yet. I'm waiting for Willy Wonka to walk through my door. Um, we've tried really hard to engage people outside of the medical condition into the condition. And I think it's hard when you're in an invisible condition, number one. Um, the way that we can show our condition is by showing you know, uh, somebody shaved head with a big scar from having had brain surgery. Well, people are pretty scared of that. And that does not endear them into wanting to help our cause. We've, we've done a lot of marketing um, techniques that have had certain levels of success, but we haven't had that breakthrough. Um, we can't compete against some of the, the other medical conditions, childhood cancer, autism, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, they have the big dollars, they have incredible creativity, and I've learned so much from following them. Um, but there's a lot of issues around why hydrocephalus has struggled to break into a more mainstream conversation. And I don't know the answer to it yet. So if you have ideas, or if anybody listening to this has ideas, please email me at the organization. <laughs> I would love to hear them. We keep trying to find uh, that magic, um, that magic sauce uh, for that. So it's hard, you know, every one of these conditions has is worthwhile. And anybody who has a personal connection to any of these medical conditions, you know, they feel it and they feel the urgency. For those of us that are in the invisible condition space or in the rare disease space, um, it is really hard to break through the incredible marketing um, tactics of the larger organizations. And, and I know it's not a really uplifting answer. Um, but it's, it's hard. I know you said you, you learned a lot, but I think what I learned from you even sharing how you all have invested in marketing and how you've invested in your community is to remember that doubling down on your community yes. is the best, is the thing to learn is like, and that's let's what not say, compete right? for yeah. the general dollar. Let's focus on like really serving and almost being hyper-focused on mm -hmm. the audience and the community that does care and that yep. does have a, a natural care for the cause or a related care for the cause and reinforce that versus trying yeah. to compete for dollars. And that's what we've been doing, right? And that's what this whole strategy around doctors is all about and stuff. Like it's like the 80-20 rule, right? You know, like we're going to focus on our people. And if other people find us because of some of the cool stuff we're doing, amazing. But right now we know that there are a million people in this country living with hydrocephalus and our database has a very small percentage of those people. And so let's find them. Let's do what we do best and let people who have the condition, you know, be able to experience everything that we have to offer. Let's double down on that 
right now. And we'll worry about the larger population later because we yeah. still have a lot of growth opportunity there. Yeah. So focusing on what you have versus what you don't have. And I, and I love that encouragement. I think many of our listeners can take that away. Something we talk about here at Feather that's related to this is, you know, cultivate purposeful connections with the people mm-hmm. you know and the people you should know. Mm-hmm. And that that's it. And I think if we if we if we focus on what we have, and I was reminded of this on a podcast I was listening to right before this call, is just it's so easy to get lost in what we don't have mm-hmm. and just being reminded of like, well, what is true? What is good about this? Yes, that's it doesn't discount this negative negative things or these these things that are hamstrunging us or challenging us. But what do we have? What is real? What is true? And you've kind of provided testimony of how doing that um, helps drive growth, which is incredible. So, and I, and I will say just to add real quick, I know that we're we're tight on time, but just to add the, you know, when I first I took on the role as the marketing director, which grew into you know, now I'm the COO. But I remember at one point early on in my career with HA, Everybody, the board was so focused, and I was, and I was so focused on like we've got them, we've got every everybody has to know what hydrocephalus is. Everybody, the entire general public, and we were so focused on that, right, that we were losing sight of why we were here. And slowly, we have shifted back to exactly what you and I are talking about. Like, let's focus on finding our community. They're the ones who want to hear our message, and they don't hear our message. So let's just focus on that and not focus on, you know, becoming as well-known as autism right now. Like we can do that later. We can do that later a lot easier when more people are connected to us who have the condition and are, and are willing to help amplify that story. I love that. And I think there's a lot of takeaways and I even wrote down a few for my own marketing. So I appreciate the reminders, Amanda. And again, your incredible work at HA. Are you open for a quick set of lightning round questions before we close? Makes me nervous, but okay. Let me see what I can do. What if I can't answer it? <laughs> That's okay. We can we can edit it out. That's the power okay, of uh, uh, technology and editing podcasts. We're definitely leaving this in though, <laughs> so I will say that. <laughs> what book on or related to marketing do you wish you read earlier in your career? It doesn't have to be a marketing specific book, but maybe there's a book that you wish you read earlier in your career. You know, I did, I mean, it's going to be kind of long, but I didn't study marketing, Noah. So I came into marketing as a mother of a child with hydrocephalus, somebody who's pretty intuitive about how people feel and uh, why they behave in certain ways and do certain things. So I have never read a marketing book per se, but I've read great psychology books and you're going to ask me a name of one and I can't think of one right now. I'm not going to ask you to name one because I think the lesson here is that marketing books aren't the only books you should read. (laughs) And I do think that there's a lot of behavioral psychology and even just observed experience. You know, you mentioned I'm a mom with a child that was impacted by this condition. Like to me, you're the best marketer for the job. And so being reminded that we don't have to be marketer with a capital M to do mark to do good marketing is that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, good. <laughs> is there a go-to axiom or saying or reminder that you share with your team often, or even share with yourself to keep you focused? Um, or when you're working on kind of making plans, is there something you go back to often, whether it's a, a quote or a phrase? There's like a feeling with my team that I always try and push that 
we are all one group, like rising together. And it's so important that we work really tightly and well together without any kind of pretenses or hierarchies. And I lead a very flat team. Mm. Uh, and I think that we all have such respect for each other and love being together. Like we create space for each other in our group. And I really think it drives us to produce exceptional work with such few people and resources, financial resources to put it in. People are shocked I'm from the outside. Scientists, doctors come to me, they're like, I mean, you guys are so big. And I'm like, we have three people who are doing sport and education. We have two people on comms. They're like, what? You guys look so big. And I was like, yeah. And I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but it's part of that we couldn't do it if we all didn't feel like we were in it together and that we all equally valued the role that each of us plays in that team. I love that. I think that that's, it's, it's not a saying, but it is a, it is a mindset. It's a culture that we've created. Yeah. And it's one that again, shows through that quote, which was like, wow, you guys are doing so much. Um, and it shows the power of synergies and connectivity and uh, having a culture that helps amplify the work that you do. Uh, and that's incredible. Two last questions. Um, a song that you sometimes turn on the car and sing to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or to get you jazzed up. Like I have songs I listen to like before podcast interviews or before presenting on stage. Like, is there your go-to song that's like, I'm ready to go? It's like, hold on, I just need to pull up my Spotify song list because it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Maybe that's how I should ask the question in the future is like, if I opened your Spotify right now, what song is on repeat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I love angsty rock music. Okay. So like that's that's one of my issues. Um, I think one of my songs, this is kind of silly, but I'll just say it is, um, I love Chris Allen's Live Like We're Dying. Chris Allen was a, um, he was on American Idol. He didn't win. I don't think maybe if he did win, like, sorry, Chris, if you're listening to this and you won, I'm sorry, but I listened to you and I downloaded your song. I love that song, Live Like We're Dying. It's all about like really embracing life and, and just living hard, living hard, like full force. I love that. So yeah. And it, uh, I've known you for 45 minutes plus maybe a you know couple hours in person. And uh, I would say that you're emulating that song. So uh, <laughs> last but not least, what other nonprofits do you look at for inspiration for marketing? Or what would you encourage? What are some like, wow, these people are doing really good marketing that you would point others to, to follow along on outside of your own work? You know, you said that in the very first um, commercial, I don't want to say commercial, but I guess it is really a commercial that came to mind, like a digital um, video that was done was by um, Sick Children's in Canada. And it was about being the mom of a special needs, or of a, of a chronically ill child. It, I'm getting goosebumps because it's almost making me cry. It was like that type of visceral emotion when I saw the ad. I'm like, damn, they nailed that one. They nailed that one. Um so I really, really appreciated that advertisement from Sick Chicks, from Sick Kids. Um, I also love Michael J. Fox. I think they do a great job. I love their website. You know, 
I think um, Cystic Fibrosis does a great job. I also, you know, I, I love their website and, and some of the stuff that they're doing out on social. And, and I really value that um, following them. And those are probably the, the and Parkinson's uh, Foundation does a great job too. Um, I love some of the, especially some of the stuff they have in the store. Every once in a while, I'll go like look at their store and they had some fun stuff. There's a great small nonprofit called Advocate Like a Mother. And um, we partnered with them to do a podcast. And and I think that their whole, uh, you know, I, I love their mission and I love what they're trying to do for special needs parents. You know, I think I'm out on social a lot, just kind of following and seeing what people are doing. Those are the ones that I think stand out most immediately to me. Yeah. Well, Amanda, I appreciate your time. Uh, first and foremost, I know it's it's limited and appreciate your advocacy and your example of what's possible from grassroots to growing organization and growing community. So, so grateful and uh, look forward to connecting again soon. Noah, thanks so much for having me on. Good Marketing Unplugged would like to give a special thanks to our producer, The Good Podcast Company, and to Feather's very own Max Anderson, who wrote and performed our theme song.